how the heck can Joe Biden call America First conservatives a threat to democracy with a straight face and a dry diaper? He's the one who has allowed millions to invade our southern border. He's the one who is robbing hardworking Americans to pay for Karen's daughter's degree in lesbian dance theory. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Muckrake Podcast. I'm Jerry D.H. Sexton. I am here with Nick Hausman, as always. Uh, we have a jam-packed show. Some would say an overstuffed show. But before we do that, a little bit of house cleaning. Uh, we are going to celebrate Labor Day next weekend, as all of you laboring people should. We are going to take the week off. Uh, so that's right. You will not have a new episode of the Monk Rake podcast on Tuesday. I'm sorry. I'm sad as well. But go out, you know, hug your loved ones, enjoy nature, uh, get a little bit of R&R in. That's what it's for. So let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so Nick is going to be out wandering the highways and byways of America. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and post something over on the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash podcast. I'll put something up there. And I want to – let's pull the curtain back, Nick. The reason why that's happening is because I don't know how to use the technology to put it on regular feeds. Oh, okay. Well, that's – one day we'll get there. We'll – Will we? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we should keep the, the, the one time I tried to post an episode. You remember this? It didn't go well. I thought it went fine. My memory was that not right? Okay. I had to get a hold of you very very quickly to fix the situation. All right. Well, you know, it, it was so insignificant in my mind. I've already forgotten it. Oh, that's wonderful. That's what a good friend does. Uh, everybody, we have so much to talk about today. We've got student debt relief. We've got dark Brandon rising. We've got the empire striking back. But first things first, Nick, um, the Biden administration has wiped out uh, individual debt, student debt, $10,000 in student debt for people earning less than $125,000 a year, uh, $20,000 for people who got Pell Grants. Those are uh, people who have less money, and that is excellent. Um, overall, we're looking at $1.6 trillion total in student debt in America. This will take out a chunk of it. Um, listen, I've said all along it should all be wiped out in general. I still stand by that. This is not enough. But right now, this is something. It is It is a victory, is what I'll say. I, I agree. And um, I mean, I think the whole point of getting a loan to go to school was that you can then, you know, be trained or learn and get a good job and then be able to exist, in, you know, normally in society or actually have a, a track where you can do better than you were doing before. That's what they told me, Nick. That's what they told you? Good. In the fine print? Um, uh, I didn't. I, no. I, I believe that they told me that and then uh, crossed their fingers and then put it behind their back and winked. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. In in theory, whatever you wanted to borrow to go to college should be like exactly what you have to pay back. This shouldn't necessarily be a business where they're going to no. make all this money off of the interest. And that's where it seems to be a really big problem here. People are ultimately owing more than the original value of the loan, you know, 15 years later. That's insane. That should never happen for any kind of loan, much less one that you know, is supposed to be promising a higher education and a better life. Uh, so it, it, it really is frustrating to read, and I'm sure we're going to go through a lot of this, the reaction from the right, which, again, is just looking to criticize uh, the, the, you know, the Democrats for anything they do. Uh, and this one I don't think is going to have a lot of... Uh, a lot. What do you think? Do you think it's going to have a lot of uh, get them what they want to get out of this with uh, criticizing it? So I'll, I'll go ahead and say this. And and again, on this podcast, we we want nuance, do we not, Nick? We want to actually get into these things, talk about what they are. We got to talk about the actual effect of this and we have to talk about the political repercussions of this. I'll go ahead and say this. 
This is an amazing political move. It really, truly is. I mean, it is delivering on a campaign promise. It also, uh, one thing that uh, the Biden administration has been doing lately by passing this stuff is they're rewarding a base. And also they're carrying out programs that are largely popular. There are 43 million student loan borrowers in this country. And you're, you're exactly right. It's insane that our government and an entire constellation and universe of predatory lenders are making money hand over fist on chaining an entire generation of people to debt that is almost impossible to escape, particularly in this exploitative system. It's an excellent political move. I will go ahead and say, again, just so we're all on the same page, it's not even close to nearly enough. Fair enough. Now, what's interesting about the right reaction is they keep saying it's not a good political move. And <laughs> they are insane themselves to say that this is not popular. Right. I mean, that, and again, they're out of touch or they're, they're simply looking for any way in any like what good sounding bite that would be a critical uh, of, of the administration. Can we do some shaky math? Yeah. Some some, some arithmetic cocktail napkin nap math, maybe. 43 million student loan borrowers in the United States of America. I'm not great with numbers, but that's a significant chunk of the country, correct? I mean, there's only like 150 million adults, I think, in the country, so. And, yeah. and how many of those 43 million student debt borrowers have family members? Uh, I would say all of them. How many of them hang out with their family members or even possibly, Nick, have to live with their family members because they are overburdened by student debt that not only do they have to repay plus interest, but also at some point or another, they start like actually going after your paycheck. How many of those people have to live with their families? I mean, I've seen a, a number of tweets. So I've seen, you know, there's, there's a few out there. So we're literally talking not just about 43 million people. You can go ahead and multiply this. Mm -hmm. We're talking probably about roughly half of the country here that not only is burdened by student debt, but also a bunch of people who know someone who is burdened by student debt, who care for someone who is burdened by student debt. The Republicans are literally fighting a losing battle, which is what the Democratic Party has to make the Republican Party do. The Republicans always force the Democrats to take unpopular opinions, and defend things and get on the wrong side of linguistic rhetorical issues. In this case, they are just, they're dead to rights on this thing. Do you, I, do you play T-ball? I'm going to put a, I'm gonna put one up on a T for you. Ready? <laughs> I did. I did play T-ball. I yes. don't think I did. I don't know. I don't remember having any memory of T-ball. I was deprived. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it up there for you. Um, what do you imagine the reaction is from people who are like 60 or 65 who went to college and got loans and didn't get any help and you're seeing them criticize it. Can you can you give us a little bit of um, uh, just fill that in the, uh, the the context of why they might be a little bit uh, their experience a little bit different than what happened what's been happening in the last like 15 20 years? The reason is because the people who are of that age and listen, I, I have to tell you, somebody who literally graduated from graduate school in August of two. 2008, Nick. I walked out of college with my degree and tens of thousands of dollars of student debt that I worked my ass off to get through school. I walked out and I was happy, Nick, and I was like, I'm going to I'm going to get a house and a car and start my life and then the economy cratered down. The people who are upset about this because they went to school and they didn't have to accrue this thing, 
they were not subjected to an intentionally predatory collegiate system that was done on purpose by Nick can you tell me uh just look at our records what political party was it that set up this predatory system uh the three-lettered one was there um by any chance an individual who played a role in this who happened to be a oh. somewhat handsome Hollywood star oh the friend of the breakdown are we talking about Ronnie Reagan here Ronnie Wilson Reagan everybody who by the way it was it was a matter of them going after colleges after colleges went from basically research technology institutes that created weapons of war for not only the Cold War but also methods to go ahead and manipulate Americans and study Americans after that I, I saw that video that was a movie with Val Kilmer I saw that one that's right and listen it had weird little nuggets <laughs> of truth in that after all of a sudden colleges moved from being military support institutions and they started having I don't know kids who said I want to be an individual and I think all of this is kind of bullshit they said guess what we're going to take away a bunch of money from the colleges. And what did the colleges do? They just went ahead and started raising tuition and making people pay for things. And then again in the 1990s when you have deindustrialization, NAFTA, free trade, everybody looked at this thing and said, we got a gold mine, baby. Charge them whatever you want. Everybody has to go to college. It doesn't matter. They'll, look, they'll get jobs, Nick. Don't worry about it. And eventually somewhere down the road we looked up and we have $1.6 trillion in debt entire generations that have no ability to buy houses, no ability to save money, no ability whatsoever to really participate in the American economy in any meaningful way. And now we have a party in the Republican Party that looks at this and are obviously going after the benefactors of it. Oh, that was supposed to be a home run sound. Oh, well, so much for doing that uh, on the fly. Uh, I was looking for that. Anyway, was yes. That a, was that a scream? It says home run bat sound. being attacked? God darn it. All right, listen, YouTube isn't always as good as they, what's cut out to be, but uh, we'll figure that out. Although, look, look. There we go. Anyway, it's it. Ah. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yes. Oh, whoa. That was like a high fly, and then they didn't realize it was gone. That's okay. Right. Uh, and, and there's a lot of information there. Just want to make sure. Do we mention um, the fact that it's like the college costs a tenth? Of what it, you know oh. back then and what it does now, um, it really is uh, disingenuous to have anybody that the the Tom Nichols is out there on Twitter heartily complaining about this when the the cost of of going to college was such it's so tiny you know back then compared to now it's insane. Um, again, the other thing is these these uh, companies that are collecting the money, as far as I'm concerned, are not the the universities. And the colleges, right? They're, that that debt is, I believe, is bought by these companies. The colleges get whatever money they want to get, and these are the ones who are making money off of the interest. Is that it's fair to yeah, say? Yeah, and I want to say, over the course of my student debt, Nick, I want to say that it has been owned by no less than six or seven separate companies. Mm -hmm. It's almost like if you've ever had a mortgage, the yeah. mortgages constantly are getting turned over. These are incredible assets. And one of the reasons they're incredible assets is you can't declare bankruptcy. These things follow you to the grave. And I will go ahead and say, while we're talking about the, the good and the bad of, of this entire program, it is good that some of this debt is getting wiped off. And absolutely, $10,000 is going to make a huge difference to some people. And $20,000 is going to make a huge difference to some people, even though it leaves debt behind. We are going to go ahead and unpause 
the student debt payments. And a lot of people are going to be in a lot of trouble here pretty soon. And by the way, go ahead and put a pin in that because we're going to be talking about why that's happening here very, very soon on this program. Wait, could I just add something really quickly? Because Marco Rubio had a solution for everybody's debt problems. Listen, Marco, little Marco Rubio has a fantastic solution for everybody. Everybody gather around, listen up. This is a one size fits all solution. There's no reform. Let's start with this. I talked about the fact we need to reform student loans. I owed over $100,000 in student oh loans. The day I got elected to the Senate, I had over $100,000 still in student loans that I was able to pay off because I wrote a book. And from that money, I was able to pay to not. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> just write a book, right? Write Jared, a book. you write books. You can just write a book. Listen, everybody, it is an easy three-step plan to pay off your student loans. Step one, get elected <laughs> to the Senate. Step two, sell your book. Step three, profit. Yeah. Cha-ching. I need a cha-ching Also, sound. do you believe that? I, I have to tell you, I don't know if you've noticed this, because this whole conversation, I Nick, I've had a, almost a sadomasochistic relationship with the fallout from this uh, announcement. On one hand, I'm very, very overjoyed that this is going to help people. Anytime the government helps people, I'm excited. But second of all, watching people tell on themselves, like everybody <laughs> on social media and on the networks, there's like, I had $150,000 worth of debt I paid off. It's like bullshit. Your parents are on your Wikipedia page. They're moguls. Like you didn't have that debt. Come on, quit lying. Yeah, or I just paid two hundred fifty dollars a month for fifteen years straight, and uh, that was all I had to do. It's all you have to do. Um, none of that math added up. When I keep seeing all those tweets too, uh, very very frustrating. And again, I think this is the fundamental difference between Democrats and Republicans. Um, Democrats kind of think that the the government should help people, and the Republicans think that you should help yourself. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, speaking of telling on yourselves, Nick, we have to talk. And, and, and there's something in the water right now, something that's circulating in the air. People who are saying the quietest part, the loudest. Um, let's go ahead and listen. Uh, I, I love this. Uh, Florida Representative uh, Michael Waltz. I, this is fantastic. This is just great. Military uses educational benefits as a key recruiting tool. The military right now is in a recruiting crisis. And if young people, 17, 18 year olds say, well, my debt's just gonna get erased for free. I don't have to go crawl in the mud. I don't have to go put my life on the line for the country. It's going to take this recruiting crisis actually uh, from, again, from bad to worse. So not only is it unfair, not only do 60% of Americans, not working Americans, not have college degrees, they get no benefits. Many members of my family successfully paid off their debt and worked hard and did the right thing but it's actually going to negatively impact the recruiting for our military as well. Real fast, before we dig into that, because that's incredible to stand in front of a camera and know that you're being beamed out to millions of people and thinking that that's just an okay thing to say. Real fast, Nick, isn't the Republican party the party of saying, life's not fair, Snowflake. Get over it, Snowflake. Whoever said life's fair, toughen up. And all they keep saying is, it's not fair. Oh, Biden's a meanie and it's not fair. They can't help themselves. Um, oh, I, oh, damn, I have it, here we go. But the truth, you can't handle the truth. There you go. It's uh, amazing, <laughs> and so Nick, here's the thing. We all know if you pay any attention whatsoever that poverty 
is and debt is absolutely one of the military's biggest recruiting mm. carrots that they have, which is they go after poor people, they go after people of color, they go after people who have no advantages because those are some of the only people that they can talk into going out and risking their lives in the infantry and not just in the officer class. That has been the story as long as there have been militaries. They go out and they find these people. And now you have you have that asshole. You have Jim Banks, who's a Hoosier, and I hate saying that. Student loan forgiveness undermines one of our military's greatest recruitment tools at a time of dangerous low, dangerously low enlistments. Here's a thought. Maybe we should have less wars. Maybe we should draw back some of our military bases. Maybe you assholes who talk all the time about uh, pulling in deficits, maybe you should learn how to balance a checkbook. I don't know. Maybe life's not fair, assholes. You know, I taught in high school for a number of years in a really big public school, and they would bring in this uh, trailer, basically on wheels, uh, to recruit for the Army. I think it was the Army. And it was soul-killing because I, I have a memory of, like, I think at one point I had to bring the class over there. I, mean, I know I was in there. I know some of my students were, like, sitting there while they were recruiting them, and I was just mortified and, and just it was really awful uh, because they're going to promise them things that are not going to come true. And yep. all of a sudden now, like, you know, the only way and, and his whole take on that is, is insane. Like, OK, the, the only way you get to go to college is if you potentially risk your life. I mean, think about that. Why, yep. why should I have to risk my life and potentially die because some asshole in Congress is going to send me over to some war that I, we shouldn't be fighting just because I want to go to college? Uh, it's a real it's they, they kind of are sticking things together. You know, everybody should go to college. That's the American dream kind of thing. And then everyone should love the country. Everyone should defend the country and believe in it. Like they're kind of mixing all these things together in a way that um, it's that's not freedom. That's not how it's supposed to happen. I got recruited so hard by the Army and the Navy. I took one of those tests. Right. Because mm -hmm. I I had no money. My family had no idea how to make college work or whatever. And I just remember sitting out on the front stoop with this recruiter, Nick, and he's just like, you know, you go in, you get your college paid for. He's like, I, I, I just don't want to see you get all that debt. You know what I mean? I just I think you're a smart cookie and I just want to see the best for you. It is ingrained in how this military works to go after poor kids and they're exactly right this is a situation where they where they know that this is going to hurt their enlistment another thing that hurts enlistment nick is when people don't believe in their fucking country and when they've watched one unnecessary war after another they've been exploited and again this goes back to what we talked about when we were talking about the roe v wade overthrow like maybe if you want people to have families maybe exploit them less Maybe have programs there so that they can have, you know, instead the Republican Party, it's all stick. It's all you can either be destroyed or you can do what we want. There's no carrot there, really. And it's, it's a constant in everything that they do and in every program that they roll out. What's kind of fascinating is that this whole college thing came about with the GI Bill when the GIs came back yep. from World War II. But it was after the fact. They'd already served. And by the way, the average age of those soldiers was much older. These are not 18-year-olds uh, in 19, the mid-40s. These were guys who were 27, 28 coming back. Uh, and then certainly not exploited by the, the GI Bill did not have predatory loans. So uh, it's, it's fascinating that they could, you could kind of see the beginning of all this then. And yet it's now flipped back on its head in a capitalistic sort of way to like exploit people now. It's well, crazy. You know, it's really interesting to think about the arc of this 
really the GI Bill is a really interesting program. You have a bunch of soldiers who come back. And for those who don't know American history, after World War One, you have tons of American soldiers. You start having the Great Depression and you look up and it's like, oh shit, hundreds or thousands of soldiers are marching on Washington and they want their bonuses, you know, mm -hmm. they want taken care of. The GI Bill was part of this New Deal consensus, but it was also a way of trying to take care of one of the largest standing armies in the history of the world and keeping them happy. Then you get to like Ronnie Wilson, Reagan, and, and I mean, if you actually look at the conversations that him and his staff were having whenever they pulled the rug out from underneath this, they, they start talking about quote unquote selective systems. We don't want an educated proletariat. And if anybody's ears just burned a little bit, and they're like, where have I heard proletariat? That is straight up Marxism. Mm -hmm. They were using the terms that Marxists even use. They were literally saying, if we let everybody go to college, Nick, if we keep letting everybody go out and get educated, we capitalists, we exploiters, we're screwed. We have to do something to protect ourselves, which is how we've gotten to this point, which brings me to our final point in the student debt conversation. This is a racket. The reason why the debt should be forgiven is because it was a fraudulent promise. This was a reaction. All of this was a reaction to deindustrialization, free trade, globalization. Don't worry, everybody. Go to college. Get educated. You will be part of the smart class, the technological elite that is going to rule globalization. Everything will be fine. And that turned out to be a complete and utter lie. But what about all those people that were going to college for seven years and majoring in, I believe Bobert's term was uh, lesbian dance class <laughs> major, something like that. What about all those people, right? Why, why should, oh, and by the way, why should people who are paying taxes who didn't go to college pay for their, for their student loans, right? Now, why should they pay for farmers? Why should they pay for corporations to be bailed out whenever they have like basically completely destroyed the, the economy? Are you, trying to say no, are you saying no one's complained about those things? Nick, life is not fair. You are a snowflake. I'm sorry. I, I just got... Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> right. I just got that right-wing slot. No, it, it's... And, and by the way, this pisses me off. I think... You, do you have this clip? You have the clip with Ted Cruz, right? Yep. That there is a real risk if if you are that, that slacker barista... Who, who who wasted seven years in college studying completely useless things, now has loans and can't get a job. Joe Biden just gave you 20 grand. Like, holy cow, 20 grand. That, you know, maybe you weren't going to vote in November and suddenly you just got 20 grand. And, you know, if you can, you know, get off the bong for a minute and, and, and head down to the voting station uh, or just send in your mail-in uh, ballot that the Democrats have helpfully sent you, um, it could drive up turnout. Hmm. Uh, particularly among young people. Ah, they said it out loud. It's incredible. And and by the way, listen to that sniveling ass because that's what they literally think about you. They think that you're a slacker. They think you're a loser. By the way, that barista at Starbucks, that's the person who's serving Ted Cruz in the morning. That's how they feel about these people. They literally look at you, the victims of an exploitative system that they have supported. They literally look at you. And do you know what they think, Nick? They think you have failed and you deserve to die. And by the way, somebody like a Ted Cruz is one of these people who is like, oh, God, it's going to add to the deficit to help these people, these moochers, these takers. Nick, do you know how much the Trump tax cut 
cost to help the richest Americans that absolutely didn't help the economy. Do it you paid, remember how it, much no, it paid for itself? I was told. Oh, it paid for itself. It, it wasn't itself. a $2.3 trillion boondoggle. They don't care. They're not principled. They literally think that you are lower than scum and they don't care what happens to you. And by the way, as somebody who is deeply entrenched in the liberal arts and humanities that are quote unquote useless, these people who take these classes, who think about this, the creative class, they're innovators. All of the people out there who are like doing the things that are supposedly the, the wealth creators. Mm -hmm. These are people who need people to think outside of the box. They're also the same people who create the art that all of these people are investing in in order to make more and more money for themselves and show off to other people and pretend that they have culture. Fuck him, fuck them. All of these people. Yeah, but to, to hear Ted Cruz describe it, he's basically been watching Fast Times Richmond High a little too much. He, oh. That's what he's describing. It's insane. I couldn't find a good Spicoli uh, clip, unfortunately. But, uh, <laughs> um, but by the way, we got we got to talk about this. Oh, there has been. Wait, but I have one other idea I want to throw in there before you get to because I had to talk about the taxes. OK, really quickly. Sure. Um, OK, so I get it. Everyone uh, that didn't go to college and ever they pay taxes all these years. Suddenly all that money is now being paid the debt. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it safe to say that of the how many million was it like are getting 50, 40 million people are going to get this uh, their debt wiped or 10,000 or 43 million. So 43 million people. Um, they've been paying taxes, haven't they? Absolutely, they have. And what have they been paying for, Nick? This? Who's to say? Why isn't their section of the money they've been paying for the last 15 years? They're going to pay for this. They're also paying for wars. They're also paying to support the wealthiest people in the world who have no interest in paying taxes yeah. on the other isn't side. Isn't that weird? Like they, like they, they, were they not paying taxes? So that they don't, like it's their money that they're getting back. It's very bizarre. It's, it's very, very bizarre. But we have to talk about there's been a noticeable shift. And I want to talk about why this shift has taken place. Joe Biden has just absolutely been let loose off of a chain. And not only do we have the student debt relief, we've had Biden over the past couple of weeks, uh, he's come out and said that he's in favor of banning assault weapons, which good for him. We've heard him you know, come out and basically, uh, we, we have here him talking about protecting social security, which thank God a Democrat is doing. But I'm not joking, think about this. Think about what they're doing. And all, it's all there in black and white. He wants to require Congress to vote on the future of Social Security every five years. So every five years, Congress can vote to change, cut, reduce, or entirely eliminate Social Security. How does that make you feel? Do you want to put your Social Security in the hands of Ted Cruz and Marjorie Taylor Greene? I mean it. So. I, w I want to point out something uh, uh, about this because we also like to get into the rhetorical part of this. Nick, he loves that. He loves getting out and talking to people. And you notice that something has shifted in him. And I, and I want to say that a lot of this is strategy. And we're going to break down what the strategy is. There's been some movement within the teams. We'll talk about that in a second. Nick, this is a president, and I don't know how else to say it. This is a president who I think when he's down, he gets depressed. I think he has been depressed and I think he feels good. He's got some momentum in his sales. And all of a sudden now he's out there talking to people. He's getting folksy. 
This is the Biden that people have seen. And by the way, when I was looking at him out in Iowa before the caucuses, he was depressed. Mm -hmm. He was terribly unhappy. And whenever somebody like this is depressed and unhappy, it radiates in a room and brings everybody down. We've now got a Joe Biden who feels like he's got momentum. He's coming out. He's talking about Social Security. He's talking about assault weapons. Nick, he called MAGA semi-fascist, which I have a quibble with that. Um, it's technically fascist, right. but... <laughs> I respect conservative Republicans. I don't respect these MAGA Republicans. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They refuse to accept the will of the people. MAGA Republicans don't have a clue about the power of women. Trump and the extreme MAGA Republicans have made their choice to go backwards, full of anger, violence, hate, and division. But we've chosen a different path forward i mean that's different man that yeah. is completely and utterly different well his poll numbers are higher than they've ever been in fact i think at this point of his presidency he's higher than a lot of the last you know over the last several decades a lot of those presidents uh, as he's you know is he getting close to 50 or can we even is 50 even attainable we're, at this when point? we're smelling we're i've seen it 44 45 we're yeah. smelling but also we're in like one of the most divided political periods that you really can look at so right so 44 45 now is the equivalent of probably at least 50 like back in the early 80s or whatever that would have been because again that's an interesting uh discussion would be you know are we ever going to see a president who's going to be popular <laughs> anymore ever i mean it would probably take a war at this point yeah. Do you believe in that still? Do we still have that bump? Uh, yeah, I think, well, that actually, now that we're talking about it, it would depend on the war, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, we've had enough of those uh, that are unpopular that I, I wonder if, although, you know, 9-11, we saw it. Right. Um, but um, I don't know, man. I don't know. But yeah. I, I got to tell you, I think he's feeling energized. I think, um, and by the way, the liberals are like, oh, I don't know if we need to call it fascist. Cause stop it. Come on, let's answer the moment. But we do have to talk about very, very quickly what has happened here. Uh, in the past few weeks, not only are we starting to push popular policies, we're actually helping people. It turns out that that makes it popular. There is also a new communication strategy. Nick and I were talking about this a while back whenever uh, things were looking pretty dire. The communications team was god awful. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it didn't know what to do. It didn't know what to do with him. It was just completely going. Now we see this new energy that's taking place. Um, we have Megan Coyne, who just got hired on as the deputy director of platforms. Um, they're, they're enjoying a little bit of a victory. I'm, I, I'm sorry. Listen, I don't believe in the whole dark Brandon thing. Matter of fact, there's a part of me that thinks that that has been manufactured. The whole dark Brandon meme thing has been basically like a shadow campaign of the Democratic Party and their operatives. I think that's possible. Sure. Uh, but man, I have enjoyed them like clapping back at people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who comes out and says that these things aren't fair and then just absolutely gets just owned. But for, for our government just to say, you know, okay, well, your debt is completely forgiven. Obviously, they have an agenda for that. They need votes in November. So the timing is a pure coincidence there as well. But it's completely unfair. And taxpayers all over the country, taxpayers that never took out a student loan, taxpayers that pay their bills and, and, and you know, maybe even never went to college or just hardworking people, they shouldn't have to pay off the great big student loan debt for, for some college student that piled up massive debt going to some Ivy League school. 
that's not fair. First of all, they didn't go to an Ivy League school. Second of all, she got bodied by the White House Twitter uh, uh, account. Comes out and says, hey, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you had $183,000 forgiven in PPP loans. Which, by the way, what a hypocritic, hypocritical idiot that Marjorie Taylor Greene is. And second of all, Nick, I got to ask, why did we not get in on some of that PPP loans? Why did the Muckrake podcast not get in on some of that money? Um, I, I don't, you and I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, we don't, we don't think like that, I suppose. You, you saw how much Matt Gates got forgiven, right? No. That was a wonderful, by the way, that wasn't just a one tweet from the White House. That was a wonderful thread. Oh, they uh, went nuts. All of the GOP uh, who had gotten loans, he had almost close to half a million dollars forgiven debt for PPP. Yeah. And I'm like, what does he even do? What is that business for? Can, you, the- use, can you use PPP loans to like pay off potential like accusers? Is that within the realm you know if they if you call them employees then allegedly yeah. um you know but like independent contractors well then it turns out he's got like a hundred thousand dollars oh. worth of shares of a company that's owned by somebody else whose name last name is gates but probably no relation right oh that sounds great that doesn't sound problematic at all right and so you know supposedly that money was supposed to go to keep your workers from quitting during the pandemic and then if you did do that it would be forgiven um i think that there needs to be some auditing done because i know i've seen a couple of articles that talked all about how the ppp money uh, wasn't spent properly but you know what is it even fair to ex- to to expect the government to completely and utterly manage their money 100% pristinely, perfectly? Like, I, I, at this point, probably not. It's like, it'll It's happen. impossible. But all I can tell you is that PPP money did help a lot of people. Yeah, it absolutely did. But in this case, Nick, there's something different about this. This is something that... I feel like the Democratic Party just months ago would have just been like, oh, I don't. I That is just outside of the lines. I what happened to decorum? Like, you know, it, it is not something that they would do, but it is obvious after we talked about this communications thing and everybody knew that a change needed to happen. They they look they 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 looked at the board they they wiped it clean they said let's try something and it turns out in this political environment if you actually address situations you actually push policies that help people and you actually call these people out on their bullshit it turns out people enjoy it instead of sitting around like you're i don't know a depressed member at a wake that's what this administration has been up to this point well you know there's a reason why john stewart was so successful with his show yes. It's basically what you know you're describing, uh, and then, um, gosh, the guy who does it now is also really good. I don't know if he's got the same ratings, but like, there's Trevor a reason Noah, why people. Yeah. Who is it again? Um, Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah. Thank you. Um, there's a reason why those shows, you know, people do gravitate toward those because there is. Here's the thing: you don't want to dunk on anybody, but when you can use uh, facts. Uh, to make a point like that. And we'll see if his approval ratings go down, he'll get sad again and we won't have, you know, Dark Brandon anymore. But but uh, if, he, if he continues doing what he's doing, I can't see that approval rating going down. It would have to continue going up. Even if it's a creep, it'll go up. By the way, I'm officially anti-Dark Brandon. I keep telling everybody this. We have to stop turning people into heroes and villains and mythical characters. Joe Biden is the president of the United States of America. He is subject to material conditions. Sometimes he can do things. Sometimes he can't. This happens to be something that he can do. You don't like lasers coming out of his eyes? Is that what that no, is? No, I don't. I hate it. I watched Predator, the original Predator uh, today, yesterday, and... Uh... 
and there were all sorts of. They reminded me of that. His his eyes do the same thing. So predators, predators, a great time. Um, in less of a great time, Nick. We uh, gotta talk. We we gotta talk about the economy, man. Hey. Okay, it doesn't have to be less of a great time. Come on. Well, we got to talk about something that's taking place right now that, uh, you know, this this show is about deep politics. Uh, we we got to talk about what's going on in terms of this recession, what's going on with the inflation situation. Um, this is a cavalcade of saying the quiet part loud. Uh, and, and we're going to talk uh, quickly about a couple of things. One is this article that came out. I read it this morning, Nick, and... Uh, I was hungry. I, well, I, I'm not a breakfast person. I don't know. Are you a breakfast person? I like my Cheerios. Oh, Cheerios are good. So that's about all I'll do for breakfast. Jenny. I listen. I'm going to make a. I'm, I'm a creature of habit. I like my routines. I eat a granola bar every morning. Every morning, unless I go out and have a nice breakfast, which is I do every couple of months, give huh. or take. I, I don't drink coffee. Man, we got to get into that at some point. But I, I read this before I ate my granola bar, mm-hmm. and I, I, it made me lose my appetite. Um, this article is in the New York Times by Emma Goldberg. It's called The Office's Last Stand. Um, this is basically this new situation that we're kind of looking at as we're going into the fall. And there's a problem right now. If, if It depends on where you're standing. I don't think it's a problem. But there's a problem right now for the wealth class. And the problem is, Nick, that people don't want to go back to the office. They don't want to have to commute to the office. They don't want to have to stay there all day. Turns out hanging out at your house and taking care of yourself, it turns out that that is pretty healthy feeling for some people. And they enjoy it. And this article, um, it, it, it again, it says a lot of the quiet part loud. But before we begin, Nick, I want to introduce you to a character. Are you ready? Please. I like meet new people. This character is named Colleen McCreary. And Colleen McCreary is in charge of, uh, quote unquote, people. And, the, and, and I know what you're saying at home. You're saying, is Colleen McCreary a human resources agent? No, no, everybody. This is a, 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 a people administrator. Quote, Colleen McCreary recently gave managers at Credit Karma a message that would, could seem more apt for rising sixth graders than personal finance executives. Quote, back to school is coming. Miss McCreary, the company's chief people officer, recalled telling managers, we're getting excited about all of these returning in the fall type activities. First of all, Nick, I hope to God that I never in my life have to deal with someone whose official title is Chief People Officer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that sounds kind of, you know, it could be friendly. Oh, it does sound friendly, doesn't it? I, I have to assume she's friendly. Also, while we're at it, as a grown-ass man, if somebody was talking about me returning to a workplace where I was being exploited for eight to nine hours a day, if they said to me, back to school is coming, do you know what my response would be? It would be an email or a, a voicemail that said, eat my ass. Whoa, okay. I, you do not tell grown-ass people, back to school is coming, as if this is whatever. The company has been trying to get employees back to the office regularly for more than a year. First, the vaccine rollout gave executives hope that the office would be full again. Then there was Wine Down Wednesday in the company's Charlotte, North Carolina location, and kombucha by the fire pit in the Oakland, California building. Now Credit Karma's leaders are relying on a different incentive, Labor Day. The latest corporate magical thinking is that September will herald the grand refilling of cubicles around the country. Wine Down Wednesday, Nick. Kombucha by the fire pit. 
maybe, I don't know, pay them more, treat them better. How about that? Yeah. You know, I, I think I had said this in the very beginning, like maybe two years ago. Like, what happens if we realize that you don't need all these fancy, fancy offices and all the glass and all the no. desks, you know, right? What if you no. could actually do your job competently without having to, you know, have a manager looking over your shoulder going, um, yeah, I'm going to need Nick, that. Nick, I think you report. just nailed a couple of things without saying them. One. Why do we need big, fancy offices? Because we need people to look around at them and feel like they're important. Number two. Number two. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist, but we all know what this is, right? You gotta get rid of that because I don't want to pay royalties on the birthday song. <laughs> well, yeah, birthday song. No, we we have to we have to honor the uh, office space a little bit here. Well, anytime that we birthday. can. And second of all, Nick, you brought up these administrators and these managers. If there's no office, if there's oh, no one around to manage, God, what do they do? What do they do, Nick? They don't have a job. What happens if the managers aren't there? What happens to every middle manager in the country? They they don't have a job. Mmm, man, that's weird. At Credit Karma, by the way, what a bullshit company. Credit Karma. They shouldn't exist. This entire credit system that we have is absolute bullshit. They shouldn't be around, but that's neither here nor there. What, why do you hate well, America? <laughs> if, by the way, that's wonderful to completely tie in America and the credit system. That's right. perfect. That's Hamilton right there, man. There it is. Quote, at Credit Karma, which has more than 1,500 employees, company leaders have persistently faced resistance on returning to the office. No shit. You probably have a terrible place to work. During several <laughs> full staff video meetings, lovely. I wish I was in on one of those. Ms. McCreary recalled leaders spent nearly all their time fielding questions about remote work, obviously. Much of the opposition she heard came from workers who said they were productive at home, found it easier to have a personal life with remote work, and saw some competitors take the leap to permanent flexibility. The company terminated two employees for working in locations where the business isn't authorized to operate. Quote, and this is from McCreary, the chief people officer, quote, it's always Google is doing XYZ or Facebook is doing XYZ or small startup down the street is doing XYZ. Why can't we? We're very clear that this choice we've made. And if people want to make another choice, there are lots of opportunities for people from Credit Karma to go work somewhere else. Guess what, McCreary? I think they're going to take that offer. <laughs> I think so, too. It makes no sense because, again, uh, the value of uh, lifestyle is you know i think isn't there a whole section of the planet that already realizes this and operates this way over on the other side of uh, the atlantic ocean yes absolutely and here's the thing like some people want to go to the office some people love going to the office some people gain energy from going to the office some people want to stay home and some people work better when they're at home and guess what that's that's the way it should work but there's a problem nick and here's the problem. So much of America's economy absolutely requires this shit. And like you said, we have a lot of fancy, shiny office buildings. And I want to go ahead and transition. And, and we're going to talk about what the solution is and all of this here in just a second. This was an article that came out uh, with The Intercept. Uh, Ken Kleppenstein and John Schwartz reported on Jordan Kaplan who is the CEO of Douglas Emmett Incorporated. And by the way, for anyone who doesn't know Douglas Emmett Incorporated, because of course you don't. It's one of the God knows how many companies in this country that make unbelievable amounts of money that you never hear about simply because it operates this exploitative system. 
So this this dude, this asshole, Jordan Kaplan, on, on a call recently, listen to this. Quote, the CEO and president of Douglas Emmett Incorporated, a real estate corporation worth over $3 billion and based in Santa Monica, California. Is that good real estate over there, Nick? Uh, it's a nice place to live. It's nice. Said on an August 2nd corporate earnings call that a recession could be, quote, good for the commercial real estate business. Quote, if it comes with a level of unemployment that puts employers back in the driver's seat and allows them to get all of their employees back into the office. Nick, what we're dealing with here that nobody wants to talk about is that power has shifted to the laborer away from the exploiter class. And history is littered with one moment after another where something like a pandemic or a crisis happens and suddenly the balance of power has shifted. You mean, you mean people don't like change? People have a problem when things change too quickly? Really? <laughs> they don't care for it, especially if they have a lot of money on the line. Yes, it's almost like we, you know, it's like watching Tucker Carlson every fucking night. It's all he complains about is that we can't have change. We can't have it have it too fast. Um, but it, you know, it's it, what's next? Are the plumbers going to like leave little leaks in the in the pipes so they have to come back and continue to be working? Like that's also an interesting thing, right? A lot of those uh, um, jobs are sort of predicated on things not working. <laughs> anyway. Oh, these people are all. And and here's the thing: when they say this stuff out loud. It, it, it betrays literally what happens behind the scenes. They want, and speaking of Ronald Wilson Reagan, they want to go out and give speeches about prosperity and mourning in America and freedom and opportunity. Meanwhile, this entire system absolutely runs on misery. Real fast, we had um, the, the, the chair of the Fed, uh, Jay Powell, who again is saying all of the quiet parts out loud. And here's the thing. If you think that the Fed isn't on the side of the exploiter class, I don't know what to tell you, but here is J-PAL. The labor market is particularly strong, but it is clearly out of balance, mm. with demand for workers substantially exceeding the supply of available workers. Nick, what happens when more places need workers and there are workers who are in demand. What happens to the individual worker? You know, wages are supposed to go up. Oh, they go up. Wait, why would they? Oh, my God. What a communist. Why would the wages go up? You know, they have to convince somebody to take that freaking job. By the way, it's almost like maybe in the Army, too. Maybe they need to raise the wages, the wages there to get more people to actually... Wait, Nick, are you telling me that just a wind-down Wednesday or maybe going and getting a couple of hot and ready pizzas from Noble Little Caesars, I believe, is that that's not going to make everything great? You know, not in this day and age. Maybe like in 1990 you know, it would have, but not now. Wow, everybody. Maybe it's going to take some type of situation. Maybe it's going to take some kind of major thing. And maybe Jay Powell and the Fed could possibly save the day. Here I come to save the day. <laughs> and listen, that recession that this asshole Jordan Kaplan and all the other exploiters are interested in having. And by the way, if the workers have power, Nick, they might be able to organize and they might be able to demand more money and better conditions. Maybe unless there's a recession and unless the Fed raises interest rates. And by the way, they admit that it's going to hurt and people are going to suffer. People are going to lose their jobs. Their lives are going to fall apart. But it's necessary because, as Powell's admitting there, 
it's a little out of whack. It's a little unbalanced, and it needs to be the other way around. Well, I mean, here's the problem because everyone hates the the um, the, the uh, inflation word. The only way, at least in their minds, to reduce inflation is to reduce demand. And how do you reduce demand? That means people have to have less money to spend, right? And then the prices will go down because people aren't buying these things as much. Well, that's a little unfair in some respects, right? If they're going to ask the entire country to sort of like, we're going to have to try and force people to make less and spend less money uh, so that the, the, the prices go down. But that is capitalism. It, like, it, it makes sense to me in a way, and I don't know how else you're supposed to do well, it. Well, and that's the thing that sucks is within this system, there's only a couple of choices. Right. Listen, raving out of his mind, bleeding heart liberal Richard Nixon tried to you know put caps on prices right mm. tried to go ahead and fix the system like that that doesn't work with neoliberalism they've completely changed it around the only option is that some people are going to have to grin and bear it and here's the thing let's be honest about what this means they say it's going to hurt some people we're talking about we're talking about families they're going to do without mm -hmm. we're talking about people who are going to lose their jobs we're talking about people who are going to lose their homes nick we're talking about people who are going to commit suicide we're literally talking about a rise in crime, uh, particularly, you know, theft, violence, that types of things. We're talking about unbelievable amounts of societal damage. When they say hurt or they, whenever they say raising interest rates, they're acting like it's numbers. We're talking about literal human beings who are going to suffer simply because they hate that there are these emerging labor unions. They hate that people are telling credit karma, guess what? shove it up your ass. I'm leaving this place. I'll find somewhere better. You can take your kombucha by the fire pit. By the way, I don't like kombucha. I've only drank it once. You know, your kombucha is like my, or no, my kombucha is like your crudite. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> we're on a roll. I tell you what, crudite, kombucha. I mean, we're having a It's great a drink, time. right? It's some sort of drink. Y yes, it's a drink and it's, I can't do it. And, and it's ugh. so they literally have a situation where they look at the labor market and this has happened time and again, Nick, after pandemics, after crises, the laborer, the worker suddenly gains a measure of power. This is actually to go ahead and people give people historical contact. This is what brought down feudalism. Yeah. Like eventually, like after after the Black Death, basically people said, I can go wherever I want and I can get a better life for myself. And all of a sudden they were like, oh, we got to leave feudalism and, uh, you know, march straight into capitalism. And this whole thing is about trying to preserve or trying to reinforce the old power balance. They do not like it when workers and individuals have any freedom or any ability to make choices for themselves. This is about getting people back in the offices. This is about exploiting them more and making sure that they can't walk away. You know, I'm trying to find the clip I can't find it, uh, in Monty Python's uh, the Holy Grail where he's like, why do we have to listen to you? Who are you? And then he goes into the whole <laughs> the proletarian speech about why should we follow monarchy. But yes, it's exactly. The feudalism uh, is, is happening again and it's sort of the fundamentals that Reagan put in place. And yep. since that time, We've never seen a bigger disparity between the upper class and the middle yep. and the lower class. And I and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I mean, that was that's on purpose, didn't they? Yes, I mean, they, absolutely on purpose. They clearly yeah. would have sensed that was going to happen. And you know, the I, mo, the biggest irony of that is that this "Make America Great Again" thing, like if you want to choose the '50s, for instance, was when a time when people paid shitloads of taxes and the middle class was really a real thriving, robust place. Let's ignore all the you know uh, racism and 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 uh, everything else. But at the very least, there were some fundamentals that existed that seemed to make a lot more sense then. Um, and yet they pine for that, but refused to change the system to mirror what they had then. 
Yeah, it's it's going back to the Ted Cruz clip. It is about making sure that that slacker barista knows their place, right? It's the it's the haughtiness of having an education. They don't want you to have an education. They want you to serve them. It's about reinstalling hierarchy. And they believe that what has happened, particularly with things like the New Deal and the progress of the 20th century, they think that something got thrown out of whack. And as a result, that gap of uh, inequality from the haves and have-nots that you're talking about, it's intentional. And it's been intentional from the very beginning. And, and by the way, this isn't just the Republican Party. There are plenty of Democrats who look at this system like this and they're like, oh, what are we going to do? That's, ah, it's, oh, our hands are tied. I just, there's nothing that we could possibly do in all of this it's about preserving the system on one hand is about rolling back the rights on the other hand it is about maintaining it and sustaining it but i have to tell you again they are monkeying with this in order to make sure that you are going to go to the office when the quote-unquote you know school bell rings and they're going to have you in there and they want you in a situation and this is one of the reasons nick why we don't have a single-payer uh health system they want you to work. They don't ever want you to question what's going on. They want you to say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Do your work. Put your head down. When they want you to work extra, you work extra. When they pass you over for your pay raise, whenever they go ahead and they, they you know, take money away from you, they want you to say, thank you, sir. May I have another, period. Right. They want you to be in so much debt that you have no yes. choice. You can't move. You can't do anything. You simply have to, you know, be beholden to them until you can get out of it if you ever do. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's fascinating. And here's the thing. There, there probably uh, there could be some good arguments for why being in the office is valuable or whatever. I'm sure. Sure. Absolutely. You know, but for me, and I've never really worked in an office. I, I would never have been able to. I just, for some reason, I can't cubicle it. For, I, it's, I can't handle it. But the point being that, like, if you could get your shit done when you get it, it doesn't yeah. matter when or where. Just get it done. And it's, if it's competent and good, then that's all that matters. And that's really, uh, really, I, I, it's hard to imagine how threatening that, re that truly is to the, that managerial class. They simply well, can't handle it. And one of the things that you're going to see, if this thing doesn't, if, 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 the, if, if this situation doesn't reverse course, right, and if they can't get the people back in the offices and they can't reinforce discipline, they can't turn around the worm. And by the way, they'll burn this whole economy down trying to do it. I mean, that, I mean, what Powell is doing, they're playing with dynamite. They really, truly are at any given time. I mean, recessions can like really, really cartwheel into like really abysmal situations. If that doesn't work out, they'll figure another way out. Tech will figure out a way to turn surveillance. You know, they, they already have programs right now that like can track your eyes to make sure that you're not looking at things on company time. That, you know, they track every keystroke. They know where you're going, when you're doing whatever. They'll figure that out. And eventually the managerial class is going to have to like, well, to go ahead and take one of the rights favorite things. They're going to have to learn how to code. You know, like <laughs> right. it, it's the managerial class right now is in trouble. The real estate class is in trouble. And if this recession thing keeps going, they might be able to turn the tide, but they, they might burn down the store. They, you know, it's like what, what it's like to save the village. We had to burn it down. And there's a very real possibility they're going to monkey around with us. But there is a rising labor movement in this country and they are terrified of it.
absolutely terrified of it. And if you're wondering if the Fed is, you know, in cahoots with the White House, you know, if that were the case, they wouldn't have had this speech now, like 90 days before the elections. They would have waited until afterwards and tried to do everything they could to sort of make it okay until they get into the elections. But then you can also figure um, that they could kind of deal with this for the next year or so, whatever, lower interest rates, try and juice the economy just in time for, ding, 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 the 2024 election. Uh, and that would be another thing that could actually bode well for, for Biden if uh, the economy is going well. Uh, it certainly you'd think that an incumbent president would, would win again. Um, so it's interesting to watch how that's going to play out. I, I feel pretty good. I feel like they're going to be able to get a handle on this. And um, the inflation will be a short-term thing. And they, once they get a handle on that, then they could, you know, then they could start getting back to you know the, the prosperity that we had at some point. It already went down in July. Like right. we, already, we already saw some smooth in there in July. The problem at this point is, you know, it's, it's almost like, you go into like a Lowe's and it's like you can buy the washer for like $500. Mm-hmm. But if you buy the dryer with the washer, it's not a thousand, it's 900. You know what I mean? It's like just a little bit of a thing. Mm-hmm. They're taking care of inflation, but they also see the opportunity to like really nip the labor stuff in the bud. Right. right? They're, they're trying to go that extra mile to just get as much as they possibly can out of it. The question is, will these technocrats, Will they be able to do this in such a way that they'll be able to accomplish both things? I personally happen to believe that a major labor movement's coming. You can't put this back in the bottle. That, yeah. like, I'm, I'm sorry, but this system of exploitation has gotten so terrible that eventually at some point it has to bubble over. And what form that takes, that's a different question. But it does it does feel like it's inevitable at this point. And, that, and what that could very well mean is that the only way you're going to get people to work in an office is by paying them exorbitant amounts of money. Yes. And that becomes like a coveted job then in a weird way, right? Um, but that might be the only you way You either pay them, them more and you give them more perks or you create a situation where people, you either go and work or you're selling pencils on a, on a street corner. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well we'll, well, we'll see. We will see. And uh, we will talk more about this and more. I mean, my God, Trump, uh, Trump is in trouble. Who even knows what's going to happen before we record the weekender? Lots you know? of things are going to happen. I guarantee you between now and Thursday. Wow, you're making you're making a muckrake guarantee something's gonna happen. <laughs> I guarantee. I guarantee. All right, everybody. We will be back for the weekender on Friday. If you want access to that, as always, go over to patreon.com slash muckrake podcast. That's where you'll support the show, keep it ad-free, editorially independent, and you can join the conversation in the community. My God, people have been killing it in the conversations lately. Uh, if you need us before the weekender, all you have to do for Nick is can you hear me SMH and me and JY Sexton. Stay safe, everyone.